say something that I hope will be relevant and challenging to you along this subject today of good news, bad news and fake news. I will explain what I mean by that in a minute. Uh, we're seeing God do some remarkable things uh, in this church at this, uh, at this moment in time. Um, I'm involved in the Alpha program and uh, many of you are here. Uh, people who have uh, chosen to become followers of Jesus have got baptised and added to this um, church family, this people here called Hope. And uh, it has truly been a privilege over these last couple of years to see so many people uh, coming to faith. And not just that, but then inviting their friends to Alpha and uh, many of them also finding this same faith in Jesus. It's got nothing to do with any of us that are involved on the team. Uh, or the catering teams that do a fantastic job week after week. This is everything about a father who has loved us, who has provided a way for us to know him as father. And that's why uh, this passage, I've forgotten my clicker there, sorry Luke. That's a good one for the recording, isn't it? Okay, that's why this uh, passage is so important and I want this to kind of anchor everything that I want to share with you today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. When I started out as uh, what's called an evangelist um, 32 years ago, um, I had to settle this one in my heart because I knew that there would be people who would not like this message and, and not like me as a result. Uh, and I knew that I had to come to a place where I was able to say, I am not ashamed of this message. And I will declare it, and I will communicate it, and I will present it uh, shamelessly and with as much boldness as I can, because it is the message that is not a product which I have sought to sell. It is the means by which I have been saved from personal disaster. That's what the gospel is. And many of you, I know, share that story. Uh, I, uh, not so much now, but I used to uh, do a lot of escapes and stage magic tricks and things like that. Um, I used to get out of a straitjacket. I struggle to get in it these days. And uh, for those of you here at the illustrious CAP event a while ago, I did try to come out of retirement and hopelessly failed just over there. Uh, but one particular occasion when I was a lot younger and a lot lighter, uh, and I was doing a straitjacket escape to a fairly large audience on the streets in Watford in North London, um, it, it, I had a rather unnerving experience of being fastened in this thing and then watching a guy coming towards me uh, with intent, shall we say. And uh, he jumped up onto the stage and uh, started to have a go at me, as the expression goes. Uh, fortunately, I had a team with me, um, but uh, it, it was a quite a frightening moment. I've had many like that on the street. Um, but I ended up in a conversation with this guy, and then I understood his story. And that morning, his, uh, his wife had been sectioned, uh, his kids had been taken into care, and he was drunk, uh, he was probably high as well, and he saw an image of me on, in a straitjacket and something clicked inside of him. And he thought for some reason, obviously irrationally, that I was mocking him and his situation. Uh, and I ended up having a remarkable conversation with that guy on the street. Um, he was very broken, he apologised to me, and I was able to talk to him and pray with him. 
Sometimes when people resist this message, it is not because the message is not true. It's not because we are somehow um, wrong in what we are doing or what we are saying. But you see, everybody has a backstory. Everyone has something going on in their lives. Um, I do a lot right now online. I I make short video presentations in uh, just off to New York to do six in Manhattan on the big New York stories. And And I'm getting quite a lot of hate on social media at the moment. I don't enjoy it. Uh, But what I'm learning is that uh, we're seeing people um, hearing this message, hearing about a God who loves them. And of course, it lands in very difficult territory in their lives. So we need to understand that. Uh, If we're going to be unashamed of the gospel, uh, we probably need to have a clear idea of what it actually is. Uh, So let me uh, uh, introduce these kind of ideas that I want to... Uh, share with you today. Good news, bad news, and fake news. Uh, The good news is that uh, God knew us before the foundations of time, uh, that he longs for you, he searches for you, and uh, the word gospel actually means good news. That's what it means. The bad news uh, is that we have chosen a route of independence, And uh, the Bible says that we have all fallen short, we have failed to live up to God's perfect standard, and we have become lost as a result. And because of the bad news, we need the good news. They're linked together. It's not based on how good you are or how much you know. Uh, None of us are good enough. Uh, None of us know very much. But what we need to understand is that when we are curveballed by crisis or sidelined by circumstances. It's not about how good we think we are. It's not about what we think we know about God. It is the fact that we are loved by a God who continually tries to reach us. But because we prefer a route often of independence, we end up separated from him. But when we walk into these situations, and maybe some of you are in these situations today, it is so important that we never forget who we truly are in God's eyes and where our value is to be found. The fake news, well, the fake news is many things since uh, America swapped its first black president for its first orange president. Uh, Fake news is something quite different, but the fake news is that neither the good news or the bad news are the real news, and that if God does exist, he's probably forgotten all about us. Uh, Those of you who have been through Alpha have heard me say this, Uh, Ricky Gervais said a few years ago, uh, I think if God exists, he's like a builder with another job on. Uh, He's kind of started it and then cleared off somewhere, and it is remarkable how many people have that view. People believe in God because it's very difficult not to believe in God, in my opinion. It takes a huge amount of faith to have a true atheist position, uh, to look at the perfection and the wonder that is around us and to believe that that is the result of not just one accident, but a whole process of millions, billions, trillions of incredible accidents that that have presented what we have today. It's not whether God exists that people struggle with, it's who is he and does he have any concern for my life or is he relevant to me in any way. You see, God has not rejected us, but we have rejected him trading his truth for lies 
and that is why we have become desperately lost. But the gospel is God's big story, and it comes with this incredible invitation to step inside that story and find forgiveness, find a clean slate, fresh hope in relationship with a father and a family. The church is God's family. You cannot be joined to a family without knowing who the father is. Equally, you can only work out a relationship with the father in the context of a family. That's why the church is so important. That's why we don't just look to communicate a message and get people to respond to it, but we work hard to find pathways of connection into this family that is represented here. This is a wonderful verse from scripture. To all who received him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So let me pause for a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to be absolutely certain that God is your father. I have a sense that there's a number of people here that may have joined for the first, come for the first time or maybe the third or fourth time. You're not totally sure that you've ever stepped over the line, as I explained it a moment ago, and found that sense of certainty that God is your father and that you belong in his family. Others of us spend our lives drifting where we almost coexist with the sense of truth, but we don't really take that step. But I want to give you an opportunity today to do that. So let's all close our eyes for a moment if we can. Let me lead you in a prayer that will connect you to this Father and it will begin a journey for you of incredible transformation, knowing him and his love for you and being part of his family, the church. Repeat this prayer on the inside after me if you want to take that step today. My Father in heaven, thank you that you love me today and you have always loved me. And you have provided a way that baffles the imagination to connect me back to you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. His life and his death and his resurrection from the dead. That in the cross of Jesus, I can find forgiveness and a fresh start knowing God as a father. Just while our eyes are closed for a moment, if you prayed that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand where you are. Just stick your hand in the air. Father, I want to thank you that this is a powerful message that transforms people's lives. Thank you that you are at work still today and you're currently in this building speaking to people who need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've talked about the father and I've talked about the family. So what about the church? How do we respond to this good news that we call the gospel? 
Over 200 years ago, John Wesley, who was the prolific founder of the Methodist Church, who uh, by the time that he died, he had released 600 full-time evangelists into the Methodist movement, most of which had been converted through his own open-air preaching. And this is what he said. He said, the church has nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. 50 years later, Charles Finney said that a Christian who cares nothing for the world is as guilty as the fireman who sleeps while the city is ablaze. Challenging, challenging words from both of those guys. The church in this uh, so-called developed world of ours, uh, I believe it is about to emerge um, from a cocoon of political correctness. It needs to. I think it is about to recover its voice and recapture its boldness. A church leader did say to me, I referenced it a, a moment ago, but a church leader said to me about a year ago, uh, we just love people because Jesus just loved people. I don't actually see that in the Bible. Uh, let me, let me uh, caveat that. Jesus did love people, of course he did. Uh, But to say that Jesus just loved people is not to do justice uh, to the encounters that Jesus had, the teaching uh, that is recorded in the Bible from Jesus. Jesus confronted the problem. He confronted what is often called the crater within the human heart that I want to say is caused by our rejection of God and our independence uh, of him. The job of the church is to communicate this good news primarily uh, to the multitudes of those who have only lived with the bad news uh, and the fake news and have never heard of a good news that of the good news that they are loved Uh, I find it remarkable how people can drift through life never never considering the most important things We have got to be, I believe as a church, and as the church in this country and other parts of the world, we have got to make sure that we are communicating regularly the answer to the human condition. Because if we don't do it, who is going to do it? But that doesn't mean that we simply regurgitate projects and programs that have been done very successfully in the past. I believe we need fresh ideas, uh, we need fresh vision, we need fresh boldness, uh, and we need to creatively communicate this message, indoors, outdoors, and online. Those three things. Very, I'm very passionate about all three of those things. We've got to find uh, a way to communicate the timeless message of Jesus. One of the biggest challenges that I believe faces the church at this time in this technological digital age is that we are seeking to reach people who do not read books by choice. And so I think we've got to find new ways. Again, I want to caveat that. You know, please don't go away from here thinking I've said what I haven't said, that we don't need the Bible. We need to recover the Bible as well. But we've got to recognize that we need to communicate in fresh ways. So let's look at a bit of fake news, um, and the pe- there's lots of fake news, of course, but one of the bits of fake news that hasn't done us a lot of favours as we try to understand both the good news and the bad news is that we have a word called evangelism. Okay, now evangelism is not a word that you will find in the Bible. 
Uh, it is a non-biblical word and, in my opinion, a non-biblical concept. Uh, evangelism suggests to me um, well-meaning Christians who invite their friends round for three dinner parties and then whack them with a Bible on the fourth. This kind of mechanistic uh, uh, kind of uh, 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 plans that we often seem to adopt, uh, it, it, is, it sort of suggests to me slightly uh, a questionable and definitely optional activity for those who are that way inclined while everyone else just enjoys the show. Uh, I, have, uh, I have a friend called J. John and uh, he says this, practically everyone has the same view about evangelism. Christians hate doing it and non-Christians hate it being done to them. <laughs> so we've got to recover the good news. Okay, so if evangelism is not in the Bible, and it definitely isn't, uh, what does the Bible actually say about this good news, and in particular, how we as the church should be working together and responding to the challenge of communicating it? Well, here's that famous passage in the book of Ephesians where uh, the Apostle Paul lays out some foundation stones for us as the church begins to explode into life in those early years in uh, uh, huge parts of the known world at that time. Some of you will be familiar with it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This has got absolutely nothing to do with superpowers being given to superheroes in order that they would exercise those superpowers over ordinary people. It's got everything about an extraordinary God empowering ordinary people with a life-changing power to transform the world. It is about servanthood, it's not about privilege. The Ephesians 4 ministries, as they're often referred to, because they're in Ephesians and guess what, in chapter 4, they are ministries from God, uh, which are gifts in the shape of men and women who are called to work together in team. Alpha and CAP, two of things, CAP, uh, Christians Against Poverty, a program that operates here, and Alpha, which also operates. They are run by very ordinary people like me and Jonathan and David and Amy and many others uh, because we feel that we want to make a response to people who don't know anything of this hope that they would hear and understand. There's loads of kind of misconceptions around what these gifts are all about. Let me just give you one or two thoughts. Apostles, uh, they're not graduated pastors or CEOs of large networks. Pastors are not church managers who run the office and organize the Sunday meeting. Teachers are not just those who run Bible studies on a Wednesday evening, and prophets are not those who are woken up at 3 a.m. by angels and told the future. 
And evangelists are not entertainers with funnier lines than pastors and teachers. Okay, that's a bad example. I appreciate that. I am quite funny. No. So I want to leave the forensics of this to, you know, people like Steve and John and others here who are far more gifted at teaching and unpacking the Bible than me. But let me just say one or two things about what an evangelist is supposed to do. Many evangelists operate in an itinerant way or they uh, travel around a lot. I I did that for years uh, until I kind of realized that for myself, um, I don't want to speak against other models, but for myself, I I realized that there was a a better way of growing the church, Uh, that evangelists, you know, like me and others, could get really implanted into the heart of a church and make a contribution from within. Uh, I got a little bored with sort of traveling around holding microphones in different venues, but not really understanding that uh, what happened to the people who made a response to the gospel while I was around because I just didn't get to go back. So I don't operate that like that anymore. So what really is an evangelist? A different church leader, not the same one as who spoke to me before, but he said to me once, we have an evangelist in our church, he's just like you. Okay, now that's happened to me quite a lot, that I've been told that there's somebody just like me in the church. And then I sort of get the dubious honour of meeting him, and it usually is a him. Uh, And it feels like a personal insult. I don't know if you've ever had that, where someone says, you know, I know someone like you, and you think, thank you very much. Uh, so let's look at, uh, very quickly, an evangelist in the Bible. Uh, so there's a guy called uh, Philip, and, uh, and be- an evangelism is not in the Bible, I said, but evangelist certainly is. So here's an interesting account uh, from the book of Acts that shows us how evangelists are meant to operate. So let's just take a moment, literally, to zero in on the life of this guy called Philip and the way God used him uh, to win people to Christ and to serve the church. Philip is clearly an evangelist, but uh, he's also one of seven guys that have been set apart in the growing church in Jerusalem. Uh, As we'll find out in a second, uh, he does travel, but he is built in. He is part of what is going on. Evangelists, I believe, are are meant to be the sales directors in this great family business called the church. And if a so-called evangelist has no time for the church, uh, he or she has not really understood the Bible or the God of the Bible. So let's look at this passage for uh, just very quickly jumping into this. It's taken from Acts and chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah, the Christ, there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said, and then skipping on a bit. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Quite a lot going on here. 
Philip, this guy who is called an evangelist, he's not, he's not guarding his little patch. You know, he's not saying, you know, this is my thing. You know, I run the Alpha course. You know, this is my thing, my program. These are my people. He's not doing that. He's not kind of saying, look, what are you guys turned up here? You know, I'm on my tour. You know, I don't need you coming to fix people. That doesn't seem to be the spirit of what's going on. Neither are Peter and John coming down to sort of sort him out, you know, because he's sort of messed up. You know, he hasn't done the job properly. Peter, Philip hasn't done a bad job. He's done a good job, but he's not, he's not somehow deficient, but he desperately needs the other gifts to be working alongside him. And foundations are what apostles are all about. And evangelists need to recognize that. Evangelistic people, and some of you are here today, we need to understand that our job is quite specific. It's actually quite narrow. And as I get older and I get further on down the line in my walk with God, I'm understanding more and more that my role is actually quite narrow. It's not to say it's not valuable or not powerful at times, but it is narrow. It's very precise. And I want to say to others of you here that are feeling similarly called to me, we have a narrow contribution to make. Peter and John get to work uh, establishing the foundations of this church in this Sumerian town. A lot happens in Samaria. Uh, But Philip is about to take off onto another adventure. He heads south for a very important meeting with a high-ranking official who he finds is reading the book of Isaiah. And what Philip does is that he then introduces this guy to the Messiah that he's reading about in Isaiah. Really interesting. Isaiah often called the fifth gospel because it is so packed with Uh, messages, predictions about what the Messiah Christ would look like and how he would come. Okay, so we're going to leave that and we're going to move very quickly onto another guy. This guy is called Timothy. He's a bit different. Uh, Paul, again, says, keep your head in all situations. Okay, you kind of get an idea what sort of guy this is. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's interesting. Timothy is quite obviously a serious leader. Uh, Some evidence suggests that he is leading a church uh, of multiple thousands at the age of about 19 or 20. Quite impressive. Uh, He's clearly a guy that's got a strong evangelistic edge to what he is about, but apparently he needs a letter to remind him of it. You know, how often is that the case? I think there are men and women here today who are called by God in a whole variety of ways, but are being asked to do the work of an evangelist. To not be an evangelist, that's actually something quite similar, but to be proficient in doing the work of an evangelist. So that's where we're going to leave Timothy. And uh, there's one third kind of category that I want to tell you about today as we begin to wrestle as a church as what our relationship with this good news really is. And it's this. This is from Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope 
that you have. Hmm. So we're not all evangelists and we're not even all called to do the work of an evangelist. But according to Peter, in the way that he is addressing the church, this is not a sort of a, a team, it's not a training environment, it's not a Bible college, this is a church. He's saying always, always be prepared to give an account. So we're not all evangelists, we're not all called to do the work of an evangelist, but we are all witnesses to the light that has shone in our lives. And we can all be really effective in communicating that to others. To do it successfully, we need confidence, we need some skills, uh, and we need, above anything else, a passion to see people reached with the good news of Jesus. One of the things that we're trying to do here with um, uh, things like the Ark and Alpha and Cat, Freedom in Christ, uh, other things, we're trying to create pathways for people uh, into the heart of this family of Hope Church Winchester. We're not trying to create projects that just stand alone. We're trying to work together. Last Tuesday, this Tuesday just gone, we had an incredible uh, encounter here. Uh, we had, I don't know, Jonathan, how many people, 70 or more people that were fed just before um, uh, Alpha normally started, and then some went to Alpha, some went to Freedom in Christ. It was so moving to be a part of that, to see people in various stages and moments throughout their journey, people who were brand new to the Christian faith, people who would never really, up until the time that I spoke 20 minutes after that, they had never heard this gospel, this good news, articulated, explained, expressed in a way that they could understand it. People responded to the message for the first time here in this building on Tuesday evening. Others went into freedom in Christ. And some of the people that were on freedom in Christ are people that had come out of Alpha. So in a sense, losing that kind of Philip, Peter and John analogy, you know, they heard the basics. They got to that place where they'd accepted Jesus. But now there's some issues that they want to work out because as I, also, as I also said earlier on, we've all got a history, we've all got a story. And sometimes we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to shine the light upon particular areas of our lives. It's not some sort of bland one size fits all. People matter. People's stories are incredibly relevant. And I think we're going to see more and more of these environments here in the Middlebrook Centre where hungry people are going to come here not just to be fed through the hatch, but to be fed from the Word of God as we seek to explain it to people. And then they get plugged in to this amazing family here at Hope Church. Okay. I wonder where all of that leaves you. Uh, I wanted to create that opportunity a few moments ago for people here to step over the line and we're gonna do that continually. Uh, in all the things that we're gonna do, what we're doing as church, we're creating that opportunity for people to, uh, uh, to, to step into this story for themselves. But I have a sense that there are some people here as well that uh, just in me expressing some of the things that I've done today, maybe it's woken up stuff in you, thinking, yeah, actually, I remember 10, 20, 30 years ago, last month, that God put something on my life 
for the gospel, to be a carrier, a communicator of the good news. Whether you sense that actually I'm an evangelist, uh, or maybe I'm called in a different way, but I do want to do the work of an evangelist. I am being asked by God to be somebody who can explain that message in a way that people can understand it and respond to it. Others, you may feel that uh, actually I'm not a very good witness, but I want to be a better one. Uh, see, the problem is, is that we don't get a choice whether we're a witness or not. We're sort of either a good one or a bad one, unfortunately. <laughs> Because when we own the name of Christ, people watch, people look at our lives, they want to know whether there's any evidence. So maybe there's a sense within you saying, yeah, Lord, I want to be uh, better than what I am. I want to be the best that I can be for you in the days that I live and in the places that I operate. I wonder if we could all stand. Guys, why don't you come and join me at the front here? Uh, we're going to sing, but I really want to pray. Um, for people here today who may sense, yeah, I want to take a step. I want to take a step into the good news, maybe back into the good news. I want to be somebody who is a carrier, somebody who understands what it is to give this good news away to other people. So let me pray. And if that's you, why don't you put your hands out in front of you as if you're going to receive a gift And I'm going to ask the Lord to do something wonderful and powerful in your life today. Lord Jesus, thank you that this good news, this gospel, is the message that we are being called increasingly in these days to share with others. To give this free gift away to people that we meet. Lord, thank you for the traffic through this building over these last few months and years of people being unexplainably magnetically drawn to this place we're seeing it in so many different ways in so many different areas of the program week after week Lord my prayer today is that you would raise up men and women from among this church who are called into the work of the gospel Men and women here, Lord, that are evangelists, that are being called in a very unique way. Others that are gifted in many ways, but are being asked by you today to do the work of the evangelist. And for all of us, Lord, that we would increase our understanding and our passion for being witnesses of this good news. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of God, would you come upon us now? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That the world would see and understand that you are good.